it's Mariah. Thank you so much for clicking on episode three of Tea and Terror. Enjoy the podcast. Hey guys, uh, how are you this week? That's a loaded question. It really is. It's It's been a week. It really has. It's been a rough week. Honestly, sad girl hours, heart attacks. I've been in sad girl hours since... Wednesday night and it's Sunday night right now so that's like four straight days that's valid it's a time and a half I had heart attack hours you did have heart attack hours I had heart attack hours at fucking 10 p.m. last night around but hey Lulu is Mike okay what do you mean is Mikey okay what never in my life (laughs) have I speed on the highway before until that night when I pushed 75 to 80 on 95 which I'm really happy my family doesn't listen to this podcast ma'am you make it sound like that's like a bad thing when I just do that on the regular (laughs) yes but I have been driving since November I'm still fairly new to it and 95 was busy last night like it wasn't empty road it was like full of cars there may or may not have been some near misses well i'm proud of you for making it anyway I did. it was it was a time but the boy is safe he's good i didn't throw punch him for scaring me but i thought about it i also thought about it you, there's a lot of people you wanted to throw punch this week huh god that list is never ending I say, mm-hmm. I can count at least two. Yep. Mariah, how's your week been? Um, you know, it was pretty, it was pretty average until I uh, got kidnapped. Oh, that's right, you did. How's that going? Pretty good, you know, we, um, we had a time last night. Yeah, I saw. Your story looked like you were having, like, a time and a half. I thought about sliding <laughs> up on, like, literally every single one of them was just, like, hearts. <gasps> I love you. I love you, too. I like that in. I was like, Mariah's having the time of her life for me, and God bless her soul for it. I know, I was like, at least one of us is living it up. Like, we can't all be depressed. <laughs> one of us has to be the comic relief at all times. I forgot to turn on my um, lamp, so I'm going to do that really quick. It just got really dark in my room. <laughs> Tell me I had the heart attack where I was like, I forgot to turn on my microphone. I was like, ah! No, my lamp, my motion sensor lights were like, mm, you didn't want to see, did you? That's, I still think it's really weird that your room has a motion sensor. Like, what was the purpose of that? I think they were just like, mm, save energy because students will fall asleep while doing their homework and then their lights will still be on. Mm-hmm. I get it. But it's also, very if you're gonna do that, at least make the motion sensor reach my desk. <laughs> Because you have to, like, get up to move or, like, wave your hands at an awkward angle, don't you? Yeah, during D&D, when I don't want to get up because I'm all, like, comfy and cozy, I, like, lean back in my chair and just, like, wave my hands really wildly and hope that it works. And if that doesn't work, I grab my notebook so I can, like, have an extension of my hand and, like, aggressively flap it in the air. It's a sight. That whole thing reminds me of, like, the joke Gabriel Iglesias does about motion sensors and how it's pretty much everyone's become a modern day magician because you're just doing wild things with your hands trying to get it to fucking work. Yeah, that's it. And I don't look, like, 
graceful, elegant, any of that, like, at all, I just look psychotic. Yes. God, the amount of times I've, like, cussed out those, like, water fountains, not water fountains, the, like, sinks at, like, bathrooms that have the motion center and they won't fucking turn on. Honestly, motion sensors just make me want to, like, I don't know, jump off a cliff or something, like, well, a lot of things make me want to do that, but especially these lights. These lights just ain't it. They really aren't. I apologize in advance for all of the, like, weird comments I'm about to make during this episode. I'm not in a fantastic state of mind, but I am, in fact, in one, which is better than I was doing on Thursday. Yes. So I'll take it. I'm just glad you're able to be here. You know, me too. (laughs) What tea are we drinking tonight? So I'm actually not drinking tea. Ooh. Um, because I have not felt great after, like, eating and drinking stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, as you do. So I'm drinking hot water, which sounds really weird, but it's, like, calming. I don't know. It makes me feel better about my life. What are you guys drinking? I simply have the banana bean macaron again because I am now a basic bitch and this is not my favorite. But this time, I put some milk in it, Mariah, so you don't fucking yell at me. In which one? The vanilla bean macaron. I put some milk in it because I don't have creamer. I love. And uh, it does slap. I'm not going to lie. It really does. I was hesitant because water and milk don't mix in my book but it uh, it slaps to which i'm going to be mailing you a box this week sydney say less because i have some stuff that i'm buying for you guys but you don't know that yet oh i'll cry right here on the podcast i need to get some um more paychecks before I do it, but, like, I've got some stuff that I'm sending to you as soon as I get them. We're going full care package style. (gasps) Oh, shit. Okay. My Discord is, like, panicking right now. It's, like, not picking y'all up, and it's stressing me out. Discord? Yeah. Discord, please. I have my data on right now for it, because y'all know my Wi-Fi really do be the final boss battle. Oh, facts. It do be. I might just, like, set my phone with Discord up, like, right next to me and just, like, make sure it's on the whole time so I can see your little green lights show up so I know if I'm missing something. Yeah, that's what I do. Like, I'm consistently, like, tapping my screen. Oh, I should set it on uh, Do Not Disturb just so I don't get distracted. Because I will. Oh, felt that. Mariah, did you see what say what tea you were drinking? Because if so, Discord cut you out. I did not because my phone is also having a rough time, but I am drinking some peach cobbler tea tonight. Y'all really be out here with like these really delicious sounding teas and I'm just like, mmm, water. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, soon you will have vanilla bean macaron. I have tea options. Mm-hmm. I just need to pull my life together before I feel okay drinking stuff again. That's 100% valid. It's It's been a time. It has been a time. That feels so ominous. We're going to, like, have this podcast out there and be like, what did she do? Did she, like, kill someone? 
did she yeah. black out? The world will never know. They'll just never know. Exactly. They could know. I could tell them, but I don't want to. So I'm not going to. So she's going to be like, what did she do? Hide a body? Who knows? It was definitely murder. Believe it or not, that was a topic that came up a bunch of times while I was over at Mikey's. Like, waiting for him. Like, with me, Colin, Colleen, and Robert. It came up a couple of times. Robert. Hiding a body? I love that. Yeah, Colin's like, Lulu and I are pretty much the ones who would be able to hide a body. And I'm like, yeah, we would be able to. Tumblr, man. I learned so much. The amount of people that I've had text me and tell me that if I need them to, like, they will. And I don't know, I just, I've never felt more loved. It's the best kind of love right there. Mm-hmm. Oh, speaking of Colin and, like, Carleen, they started listening to the episodes. Ooh, what do they think? Expose so, them right now. Yes. So they said that they thought they thought it was really good, and Colin said he loved how organic it all felt, and then they both looked at me, and they're like, you don't like tea? And I was like, guys, no. <laughs> you do now, though. I'm getting... I'm slowly adapting to it. So far, it's just the little leaving background that's, like, really been it for me. That's fine. Find your tea. Stick with it. There's some teas that I, like, will... I'll drink, but they're not my fave. Does Colin drink tea? Honestly, you thought I would have asked after them, like, telling me that, but I didn't. I was just so, like, shook that I was attacked at that moment. (laughs) Who, Who else started listening for me? There's a couple girls in my PLM group that started listening. Neither of them have given me their opinions yet. But one of them drew us a logo and it was really nice. It was really nice. Oh yeah, it was really pretty. I still think it should become a sticker. I think that's everything we needed to cover right before we get into this, right? Yeah, I think so. What oh, true crime trauma no, do wait, we have to wait, 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 wait. I forgot I put a mental note at the top of my notes. Because I need to tell you guys about this thing that I saw on TikTok. What'd you see? I was I was gonna send you it, but like I wanted to hear your live reactions. Okay. So it's a coloring book. Okay. Uh-huh. And it's called the Bloody Alphabet Book. <gasps> and it's all serial killers. Ooh. We need that. It's $9.99 on Amazon. And I'm, I'm gonna oh shit. Oh, fuck, I might. I'm definitely. There's a second one, it's $8.99. I might get that one. And I just, just wanted to let you know because, like, I, I think we need them. Okay, now I can go into my true crime. Them. My six pages of true crime. I'm ready. I'm okay. coffee cozy. Everyone settled in, ready? Snacks ready. To hear about murder? Always. Mm-hmm. All right. So it is... Once again, a Michigan case. Because that's all I research, I guess. I don't know. So, have you guys heard of the serial slasher? The hash-flinging slasher? Yeah. Also known (laughs) as the serial stabber? I have not. Mm, It was a big- Maybe from a- Maybe from another podcast? Maybe, like, there's gonna be that one detail. Like- freaking our friend harley was like did you hear about this case and she sent me a video and i'm like this is like vaguely familiar and then they said one word and it all just like rushed into my head and i like bitched at me so maybe it might happen with this because like i want to say there's an inkling okay 
because this was like a really big case in like 2010 so it's like recent oh shit i was gonna look up if he's still alive and i don't know if he is or not i think he is he was not old when he went to jail um but i mentioned that this was the case i was doing this week when i was with my plm group last monday and our leader just like had this look of like i don't know if it's like shock or horror or just like she remembered it mm-hmm. and she was like oh boy <laughs> and so michigan people know it <laughs> i guess i didn't know much about it i knew it was here um but basically it's the serial slasher aka the serial stabber aka elias Ep- i can't pronounce his last name um a well, I don't know. Uh, can I send it to you, Lulu, and you just pronounce it for me? Uh, I will fucking attempt. Cool. I'm just really bad at um, pronouncing anything. I want to say it's like Abuelazam, but that's like not it. Abuelazam. So I was like kind of right. Yeah, that's how I would say it. Okay, well. It's literally Abuela and then Zam. Okay, I thought so, but like I said it to myself and it didn't sound right. Um, which is why I'm going to be referring to him as Elias for the entire murder. So it's going to sound really weird because it's going to be like, ah, oh, yeah, me and my bro. <laughs> but it's just because I can't pronounce his last name. So this guy was mostly in Genesee County. I want to say he had 17 attacks total. Five of them were killings. Most of them were in Flint, which is in Genesee County. Uh, but he also had three stabbings in Leesburg, Virginia, one in Toledo, Ohio, and one in Ramallah, Israel, so Homeboy was international. Hmm. So most of his victims were described as small frame, small framed men, and most were African American. And my notes says we'll get into that in a minute, but we're just gonna get into it right now. The authorities said that this was a race issue, but when asked when talking to the victims' families, they don't believe that it was. So it depends on who you ask whether or not it was, like, racially targeted or whatever. So, like, the police are like, yes, it totally is. But, like, I read a whole interview with the mom of the victim that he got sent to jail for, and she was like, I don't think it was by race. I think he picked his victims randomly, and my brother or son or whatever her relationship was with him was just in the wrong place at the wrong time. So that's fun and exciting. We're going to take a quick drive into his personal life. Because he actually wasn't born in America. He was born in Israel, into a Christian family. He moved into the States when he was just a small child with his mother who had just remarried. I'm not really sure what happened with his dad. They did not get into it. But they're in America now. He has a stepdad. So he moved to America. He has a green card, but he never actually gained citizenship. In 2004, he married a woman named Jessica he reportedly subjected to emotional abuse and they got divorced in 2007. Doesn't state who initiated that divorce but I want to imagine it was her because she was like I'm not staying in this abusive relationship. Good for her. Right? Get yourself out of there. Prioritize yourself. Do not stay in abusive relationships. We do not condone those kind of kinds of actions. Amen. If you go ahead and look at uh last episode's description there is some hotlines for you there yeah we got a trend going on here (laughs) so he actually worked at piedmont behavioral health center as an adolescent psychiatric it was an adolescent psychiatric facility in leesburg virginia and he was a mental health technician 
until 2008, and that makes me really uneasy because of what he later goes on to do. So, homeboy kills a bunch of people, but he was a psychiatric technician, because that makes sense. (laughs) Somewhere in there, he had moved to Florida for a hot second, but by 2010, he had, no, in 2008, he moved to Michigan and worked at a clerk at the Kingwater Market in Beecher until like 2010. He was actually reported to have given alcohol to a minor that day, like on the same day that a 59-year-old man was stabbed in Flint. So that's fun and exciting. The only reason that I know that he lived in Florida was because that's where his legal address was when they went to try and track him down. Oh shit. Yeah. So now that you know his background, let's get into the crimes. Between May and August of 2010, the police say that Elias would drive around late at night and approach small framed men who were walking alone, which is just like super sketch to me because he's clearly preying on people who are vulnerable and that's just not it for me. Uh, He would ask them for directions or he would ask them for help fixing his vehicle, which was a green Chevrolet trailblazer. And then he would stab them, usually in the chest or the stomach, and then just leave them for dead. Though I did get into race later. And it was basically that half the police suspect that the case is racially motivated, while the other half does not, so it's inconclusive. But there is a type, and it was definitely African-American men. There's a lot of sources out there that will argue that, and a lot of sources that will argue against it. They didn't actually go into the crimes very much in in any of the articles that I read, so I'm not totally sure what I think, but it's definitely like a possibility. But then again, he's also suspected of stabbing a friend in the face when he visited his family in 2010. Oh. Back in Israel, but that friend refused to press charges, so nothing came out of that. So that's not the reason why it's international? Well, yes, but his friend still refuses to press charges. That's a homie. Guys, should I ever stab you in the face? Please press charges, because I'm clearly not of right mind. Oh, I will. I might. Oh, I like that. I'm just like, I will absolutely press charges. And Mariah's just like, I don't know. I feel like I'd end up apologizing. I would definitely apologize. I would cry as I was telling people about it. I probably actually wouldn't be the one to report it. It would probably be like one of my friends. <laughs> so I would like come out and be like, guys, Lulu stabbed me in the face when I went to visit her. And then we'd be like, she did what? <laughs> that would be um... the appropriate reaction. But yeah, so the investigation didn't really start until August 4th of 2010. But the series of stabbings dated back until May. Most of that, the reason why there was such a long area of time in there was just because it was all in different jurisdictions. So they were investigating everything separately and didn't realize that they were all connected. Which, you know, seems to be a common theme. That happens so often. So... It took a week of investigating for them to connect three hammer attacks back to Elias. And then the next day, that was in Leesburg that they connected those to him. The next day, Toledo police claimed a stabbing also matched the suspect. So everything fell into place really fast. Um, But he was first arrested on August 5th of 2010 in Arlington, Virginia during a traffic stop because he had a warrant out for arrest for a simple assault. He was actually released on personal bond, which I had to Google to know what that was. What is it? It's literally just a pinky promise (laughs) that you'll show up for court dates. So you just don't have to pay bail or anything like that. It's like honor code, but for criminals, they're just like, uh, your offense wasn't that bad. You can just like go as long as you like pinky promise to get your court date. I have issues with that, but you know, that's not my 
problem. The second time he got arrested was by U.S. Customs and Border Protection officers, and that was on August 11th, 2010. So that was like six days later. And it was at the Hartsfield-Jackson-Atlanta International Airport when he was prepping to board a Delta Airlines plane. Which leads me back to, do you guys know the John Mulaney Delta Airlines skit? Yes. Mm-hmm. That's what. That's where my mind went when I was reading that. I was just like, ah, John Mulaney. <laughs> cool. I'm actually going to talk about how they found him really quick because I found this really interesting article about it and how tip hotlines, like, actually help. Wait, they actually worked for him in that case? Yeah. It was crazy. Oh, shit, okay. So, like, they set it up literally on at midnight on August 11th, which is the day that he got caught. So it worked, and it worked fast. Oh, shit, okay. I, they had... I want to say the number is 316 tips before they got one that they could use. So it's not efficient by any means, but it works. So our homegirl Aisha Moore called three separate times with different information for each call. And so through that, she told them that they met, that she'd met him at Kingwater Market, that he had a barbell tattoo on his ear that was similar to the one in the police sketch of the suspect, and he drove a green over tan Chevy Blazer. And so... With all the information, they were like, flag that one. We're going to use that. And so they went down to the Kingwater Market and talked to the other employees there, found out that they knew him as Eli. And then they continued talking to them and learned that he'd gone to Virginia to visit family members that year, which is what raised suspicions because that's the same year that there had been three knife attacks in Leesburg, Virginia, which were super similar to the knife attacks that were in Flint. Oh, that is. And so that's when everything clicked for them, and they were like, oh, shoot. We're dealing with the same dude across borders. This could get messy. It didn't get super messy, but it could have. Um, so after that realization, more investigators were called in to reveal the store's surveillance cameras, and they confirmed that it was, in fact, him. So they got in contact with our guy, Romney Moore, who is our girl Aisha Moore's father, who owns the store. And they asked him for Eli's number. Fun fact, Romney Moore's phone, uh, contact name for like everyone at the store was just crawfish because that's all he wanted to eat as a child. I don't know why that was relevant to the report that I was reading, but it was in there and I thought it was great. And so with his phone number, they pinged his phone, so even though they didn't know his name, they would be able to see wherever he was if his phone was on and he was using it. Um, so we're actually going to go back in time for a second with this story. Remember how I mentioned that he got caught for selling beer to a minor? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's how they got his full name, because he was in the system because of that. Because the investigators, like, went into the system and they were, like, searching for any Eli's. And they found him because he had sold beer to a minor and had been last off, let off on that personal bond. And so they took his name and they kept looking for him because there was nothing on the so- cell phone track for hours, which could mean one of three things. So the first one is that his phone is off. The second is that he's somewhere where he doesn't get service. The third is that he's airborne. Take your guess which one it is. <laughs> Homeboy was on the flight, wasn't he? Uh, homeboy sure was. <laughs> um, which is how his phone pinged in Louisville, Kentucky shortly after that. They found, this is actually how they found their key piece of evidence for the case because when they got there, Elias was gone. 
but his luggage was still there and they confiscated it and they found um blood in his luggage oh. but we'll get into that oh. um and then suddenly the phone ping went off because he was on a flight and so you would think that like well now what he's on a flight what well, you can just check which place just departed but it's a big airport but this is where agent elf cromwell comes in and from the article i read this man is a legend Apparently he has computers and information. He describes everything running at 500 miles a minute, which sounds crazy, but also I really want to see it. The engineer in me is very intrigued. <laughs> um, this is the man that actually discovered that Elias was going to Atlanta, and he was the one who told the authorities there, which inevitably led to his arrest at the airport. So we stand Elf Cromwell. He's a good dude. Yes. They are good goods out there. Yes. So, he was taken into custody on August 11th, and on August 13th, he waived his rights to, um, by extradition to Michigan. So, he has flown black to, uh, la 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 la, the speaking is really hard. True. He was flown back to Flint on August 26th, and he was lodged in the Genesee County Jail in solitary confinement for his own safety, because they were concerned that the other prisoners would be so upset by his crimes that they would hurt him. Oh. Fun fact, that jail is an hour from where I live. I looked it up because I was like, oh, Genesee County, that's close. Yeah, one hour. So he was actually in jail when a judge ordered that he would be held without bond, which basically means that you can't bail him out. It's not an option, which I thought was great. Mm-hmm. So he was kept there until May 8th, 2012, and the murder that they focused on was the murder of Arnold Minor. I actually took a note about the Minor family because I was reading news articles about this and this just felt really sad to me. Arnold was the second relative that this family lost to murder. 26 years- Jesus. Yeah, 26 years earlier, they lost a sister that they called Pumpkin and that murderer has never been caught. So at least they got closure for one of them. This judge actually said that you can use the evidence of the other Genesee County attacks for this trial, which I don't think you can usually do that for trials. But I think it was really good that they did because that basically just meant that this guy was bad and these are this is the evidence for it. Please lock him away because I think their only real evidence for Miner's case was the blood that was found in Elias's luggage, which is, I mean, pretty bad. And I think that's what they actually got him on. But also, the prosecution rested on May 15th, which was like literally a week later. Sorry, I had to count my days there. Um, after they called 50 witnesses, which included other victims that had survived, victims' relatives, as well as several forensic experts, and Elias's uncle, who had helped the police capture him. So at least we know that Elias's uncle is a real one. He said, not in my neighborhood. He was like, not my family, and turned him in. Um, so on May 17th, Elias's attorney presented the insanity defense because they were like, homeboy, this is the only way that you're not going to get convicted. So they only had one expert witness for this who was hired by them, who diagnosed him with paranoid schizophrenia, and he claimed that he committed these crimes because of evil spirits, and that he had attempted suicide in 1997 and was diagnosed as psychotic by an Israeli psychologist in 2009. The prosecution called bullshit on this literally called out their psychiatrist by pointing to that his field of expertise is addiction medicine and he has no business talking on this. Oh shit. Which I thought was great. 
because they then went on to refute this diagnosis with two of their own mental health experts who confirmed that he did have an unspecified personality disorder and he lacked empathy. However, his attacks were planned out and organized and therefore he could not be considered legally insane. So check your facts, guys. Yeah, because that defense is like, they really tried. Well, I'm going through my pages of notes really fast. That's okay. So on May 22nd, it only took the jury one hour of deliberation to find him guilty. And on June 25th, he was sentenced to life imprisonment with no chance of parole. And at this time, I'm going to read you a list of his dismissed charges, such as... His five counts of assault with intent of murder in Genesee County, four of those victims being Bill Fisher, Richard Walker, Etwan Wilson, and Devon Rawls. One count of felonious assault in Ohio for the stabbing of Tony Lino, a church janitor. Two counts of murder for the stabbing deaths of Frank Kelly Brew and Darwin Marshall in Flint, Michigan. Two counts of resisting and obstructing a police officer causing injury and three counts of resisting and obstructing a police officer after he attempted to punch a deputy and had to be tasered with the help of four other officers. One count of malicious destruction of property for smashing the car windows of a car belonging to the boyfriend of a witness. And an additional charge of assault with intent of murder in the stabbing of Antoine Jackson in Burton, Michigan. Jesus. So those are, that's his, his track record. So basically in conclusion, homeboy psycho. I'm not in the correct term of the word, but you know what I mean. I do know what you mean. Yeah. So, Elias actually then went on to hire a new attorney while he was in jail so he could file to appeal the original trial judge's rejection of a motion for a change of venue due to the extensive media coverage of the case, which he claimed had wrongly called him a serial killer. He also wanted to overturn the judge's decision to allow evidence of other attacks or testimony of his other alleged victims. However, the Michigan Court of Appeals, as well as the Michigan Supreme Court, declined this request. Which, I mean, thank you for doing that. I don't think that would have changed the outcome, but I'm glad we just didn't revisit it. They collectively went, no. Yeah, Michigan just went, absolutely not. Uh, He also then asked to be deported to Israel to face charges for the attempted murder of his friend in 2009, but he was once again told no, because one, the Michigan court system didn't think anything would come from it, and two, convicts cannot legally be deported until their full sentence is served, and homeboy has life without parole, and therefore cannot go to Israel right now. And I'm actually going to look it up right now to see if he's still alive, because I was going to look that up beforehand, and I didn't, because, you know, I'm dumb. I don't know. Is he alive? Yeah. Yeah, he's still alive right now. He is... Yeah, he's still alive, but he's still in jail. Okay. As he should be. Yes. that That's what I have for you. So, I can confirm I had not heard of this. Me neither. What the fuck? I like how um, the tips that came in really helped solve that case. Yeah, I'd never actually heard of like a case where that worked, so I was like, heck yeah. So just a little reminder, we do still have that um, 
hotline for Asha to agree on her first episode. They do actually be helping sometimes. Oh shit, it's me, huh? Paranormal. Yeah. It is you. <laughs> We're gonna shift gears a bit from stabbings to ghosts. And you guys might know about it. I know Mariah knows about it. Do I? You should. It this place has been ranked by Travel Channel as the most haunted house in America. Oh wait. It was Do you have a theory? Yeah, but keep going. It has been covered by both Ghost Adventures and BuzzFeed Unsolved Paranormal. Ghost Adventures. BuzzFeed. Guys, I'm going to be talking about the Whaley House. <gasps> the oh, Whaley yeah. House. Yes. All right, so Thomas Whaley was born on October 5th, 1823, and he was number seven of ten children to be born. Jesus. Ten. Ugh. I feel bad for that mother. Ouch. So, Whaley had success because he took over his dad's business relations, and he had a good life financial-wise. He moved to California during the gold rush. He went to he went to San Francisco, and then he moved to Old Town San Diego in September 1851. Shout out. He married... Did you say shout out? Yeah. <laughs> Is Old Town San Diego and San Diego the same thing, or are they two different spots? It's a section of San Diego. Oh, okay. Uh, He married a woman named Anna Dulaney on August 1853. And then Thomas designed a two-story brick Greek revival house. And eventually the Whaley's moved into it once it was done in August 22nd, 1857. And this is the Whaley house. So it's a fucking fancy-ass house. And it was one of the finest in Southern California. So, before we continue, there's something you should know about the property that Thomas Whaley knew about when he purchased it. <clears throat> James Robinson, also known as Yankee Jim, was a Canadian French person, and according to a clipping from the Los Angeles Herald that I found, he, quote, had anything but a prepossessing appearance, end quote. He was called ugly by a paper oh. that got printed. Damn. Right. I simply would just Kermit <laughs> if a newspaper called me ugly and then printed it. God damn. That had to hurt. I just don't know how one recovers from that. You don't. He, he doesn't, but it's not because of they called him ugly. So, I found out that Yankee Jim pounced upon miners in and out of in and out of the way places. He murdered and robbed them. Oh. You'd think this is why he would stand trial. It's not. Wait. He stood trial for grand larceny because he stole a boat with a couple of his friends. 
and then abandoned it unharmed. They found it on the beach later that, like, week or something. I mean, hey, nice of him for not harming it. Yeah. And so, the people who owned the boat served on the jury. Oh, that's not a conflict of interest at all. (laughs) I was like, ugh! But apparently this whole time, Yankee Jim, he didn't even argue about them being there. He was like, eh, it's fine, because the boat was returned unharmed. Nothing's gonna happen. Maybe a slap on the wrist, you know? Mm-hmm. I do not assume that that's what happened. I assume it was much worse. Yankee Jim was sentenced to be hanged by the neck until death. Well, that's a little extreme. Homeboy, he returned the boat unharmed and then just hanging by the neck until death was until death really necessary uh turns out it was because he was a tall guy and so by the height of the hollows the gallows he was pretty much as tall from the platform where you drop to the ground so when he dropped his tippy toes could graze the ground pretty much no, 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 so no. So he no. just, he was just there for 45 minutes. No, 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 no. Thomas Whaley knew about this and still bought the property. Buddy. Do better. He's, he's like, I don't believe in superstition. Buddy. The family, they changed their minds. All right, so... Thomas Whaley and Anna grew to have six children. One, two, three of them were born in the house. Francis, Hilton, Thomas Whaley Jr., and Anna Amelia. So, Thomas Whaley Jr., at 18 months, suffered from scarlet fever and died in that house. Baby. They Mm -hmm. also, so he is the first ghost. Aside from Yankee Jim. Oh. On that property. Uh, that same time frame, the Whaley's also lost their store to a fire, and the store was a part of the house. Y'all ain't gonna tell and me so, that they were considering the fact that maybe maybe they should move? <laughs> you'd think. They moved because of this. And they went back to San Francisco. Oh, good. They had to go back to the Whaley house after an earthquake in San Francisco, though. Damn it. They were almost (laughs) gone. They almost made it out. (laughs) So close yet so far. They had three other children that were not born in the Whaley house. George Ray Ringgold, Violet Eloise, and Corrine Lilith. Oh, those are... Violet Eloise is such a cute name. Right? It is so cute. Just you wait. Ma'am. Oh, no. So. The Whaley House was San Diego's first commercial theater, the courthouse, and the general store. In the same building. Talk about first They would be. I know, right? And it was only for 65 cents a month. Damn. A A bargain. Uh, while he was in San Francisco, Thomas Whaley Sr. decided to invest in merchandise, and this allowed him to fix up the Whaley house. 
love a good renovation. You did. And then they were officially back December 12th, 1868. Maybe they should have renovated for longer. Just maybe. In 1869, a troop, like, when I read troop, I imagine like a little circus kind of thing. They rented a small room upstairs. Huh? I pictured like soldiers, but I like yours better. It makes more sense. Oh, no, the way... The way it's spelled is the T R O U P E. Okay. I'm just and done. So, <laughs> listen, I'm about to have my mom with this episode. So they rented a small room upstairs, and 17 days after opening, the operator of the circus died. Not on the property, but dude still died. Oh. I mean, hey, at least it wasn't on the property. That's progress. And then in 1871. A group of armed men held on a whaley at gunpoint, and they seized the court records from the house. Why? Because, I don't know. But, like, I imagine at that point, they're like, yeah, let's not live where the courthouse is. Yeah. So, from there, on January 5th, 1882, both Violet and Anna Rick and what Anna really jo- both Violet and Cor- yeah Anna Amelia Whaley were married and I scrolled a little bit too far okay so both Violet and Anna Amelia Whaley were married inside of the Whaley house oh, I would not Violet- get married there ma'am I also wouldn't but it was also it should have been a cheap wedding then though yeah, I guess. Uh, Violet married George Barolasi. I'm not Italian enough for this. <laughs> George Barolasi. Heaven forgive me. And Anna married her first cousin, John T. Whaley. To which, oh. uh, sweet home Alabama. <laughs> what the fuck? Times were different back then. I hate it though. Two- oh, got it. Ugh. No. Two weeks into Violet's marriage, her husband disappears one morning before she wakes up. Motherfucker oh. was a con artist. Oh. Can I fight him? Add him to the list. Yeah, add him to the list. Put him on my list. I'll throw hands. <laughs> Just like crack your knuckles. I'm ready. I offer that a lot for someone with the strength of a chicken nugget. Found that. Uh, so he married her just to collect the dowry. Damn. And then, because it's the middle of the 1800s, Violet was pretty much shamed. When she returned home, she experienced public humiliation, and she was still recovering from the betrayal of all this. She And so, naturally, she began to suffer from depression. Oh, sweet baby angel. I know. Violet Eloise deserved better. Justice for Violet Eloise. Facts. On August 18th, 1885, Violet Eloise committed suicide by shooting herself. Stop right there. (laughs) It gets a little bit worse. This is not canon. I don't accept it. 
rejected. She saw herself in the chest with her father's 32 caliber gun at 22 years old in the backyard's outhouse. What's her with an outhouse is? I honestly don't know. Holy shit, yeah, because in the Dice Road Cemetery on... Damn. So, Violet was found there by her father, who found her dying, and he brought her inside to the house, and they made it to the parlor room when she passed away. Hmm. And then she had left a suicide note behind that was a passage from a bridge of size, a poem by Thomas Hood, that read... Mad from life's history, swift to death's mystery, glad to be hurtled anywhere, anywhere out of this world. So, her younger sister Corinne was engaged at the time that Violet committed suicide, but because of the scandal, her fiance left her. Bitch. What a prick. I know, what the fuck? So, after the death of Violet Eloise, Thomas built a single-story farmhouse, frame house, for his family at 933 State Street, downtown San Diego, and the family moved there. And the Wheelie House... Right? The Wheelie House would be vacated for two decades. Good. According to Wikipedia, Thomas Whaley died at the State Street House on December 14th, 1890 due to an illness. After his death, the Whaley's went back to the Whaley house. Wow. Francis Whaley had taken over the house and he restored it to a museum. He even, and he even entertained guests with his guitar. Aww. <laughs> He's like every college boy at a party. Right? <laughs> mm. Oh my god. I've yes. never actually been to a party, guys. Me neither. <laughs> I'm just assuming that's what happens. I assume from TV. So, Anna also later, the mother, later died in this house as well. I didn't read why or how she died, but I assumed it's from old age. So, the final list of the Whaley's who died in this house are Anna, Lillian, Thomas Jr., Violet, and Francis, with Yankee Jim who died on their property years ago. The museum is now run by Save Our Heritage Organization since 2000 and has a live-in caretaker since 2007. So that's the oh, history. I wouldn't want to live talk- there. I don't know. Maybe for like a couple months I would. You uh, know? I want to visit it. I'll visit. I don't think I want to like live there. I don't know if it's open or not. It's All right, hear COVID, me. But- uh, they have, it's open, it's just different hours. Mm. Alright, I'm gonna talk to you guys about some of the encounters I read about. Ooh. I organized it by, I organized it by ghost. We have Yankee Jim, who does loud footsteps, as well as disembodied footsteps. And then, supposedly these were heard before the Whaley's died, and this is what would convince the Whaley's that... Maybe ghosts are real. A tour guide says, quote, I think he has a sense of humor. Sometimes we get visitors coming up or down the stairs, which 
the stairs would have been where the gallows are, by the way, where he hung. <laughs> oh, that's. Oh no. That's saucy. So the visitors who went up and down those stairs would have, some of them at least, would have a red mark appear against their necks. It doesn't hurt or anything, but most people don't notice it until someone else points it out. So he's a jokester. So he's fun. Uh, you have baby Thomas Jr. who does infant cries and occasional giggles. Aww. We have Violet Wavy who people say that on the second floor of the house, they see a young woman lingering about. And they believe it to be Violet since it's said that since she spent most of the time on the second floor before she committed suicide. A lot of people who go into her room feel a profound sadness. Homegirls just in sad girl hours. Leave her alone. Honestly. Can we uh, send them your playlist of sad girl hours so she can use them as well? Yeah, do you think I can hang out with her? Think we can be friends? I think she'd like that. I'll just go over there and I'll just like play my sad girl playlist. I have a lot of songs to add to it right now. We also have the man himself, Thomas Whaley, in this household. I imagine because he was so attached to this house and stuff, his ghost appeared there. Yeah. Because it's not always where you die. It's also just where you felt most at home kind of stuff like that. Yeah. So a lot of people claim to see Thomas dressed in his frock, coat, and top hat at the top of the stairs. And it's not uncommon to smell the smoke of the cigar or hear deep laughs echoing through the house. And not like demonic laughs, just like a normal person laughing laughs. At least it's like happy. Mm -hmm. And then for Anna, people say they can smell French perfume, which was her signature scent, and eerie strains of a distant piano, because I assume she played piano as well. Aw, wait... They all sound so nice. <laughs> right? That's why I was like, I'll live there for a bit. And then I wrote down some events. Yeah, so I, would, things that, I would live there. So some things that happen, just there's some mists. Lights turn on and off. The crystals in the music room lamp swinging unprompted. There are orbs of light, especially in the courtroom room. And according to a volunteer and two guard, the house doesn't take well to skeptics. And then this next little paragraph is just a full-on quote from this tour guide. There was this man who didn't believe in ghosts and was very vocal about it. He was a police chief and said he was an atheist and the whole thing. He was standing in the hallway talking to one of the volunteers and was suddenly hit square in the face with a puff of cigar smoke. The, the tour guide smelled it too. And then now a sudden convert the chief made a mad dash for the door and stopped panting on the front porch to be hit again with another shot of the cigar smoke burly dude never returned i asked if anyone saw smoke or if there might be an explanation and there was none just the odor we all smelled it you know what i respect that exactly like yes I would be too. I'll be fucking shit up if I was a ghost. Pranks all day, every day. There was another encounter that said, I was downstairs when I heard this incredible shout or yell. It sounded like somebody falling down the stairs. I ran up to ask people if they heard it. They told me they thought it was from where I was downstairs. One of the other staff people 
who was in the room across the hallway said it sounded like someone saying get out in a nasty voice so that's like the most negative encounter that I found of it uh, in 2004 there was an attempted break in into the Whaley house in the middle of the night they only know this because the rear door was destroyed beyond repair but the motion sensors in the house didn't pick up any activity and nothing was touched so oh, i don't like oh. that something scared the robbers and they don't know what it was all they know is that until the door was replaced People felt a bone-chilling coldness in the room with the broken door. And this is also the room where Violet died in her father's arms. I was going to say, I hope it was Violet um, teaching them a lesson. Violet said, not in my house. Violet said, not today, sir. Yep. There are... It's reported to have more activity during the holidays from Thanksgiving to New Year's. Oh. And... A police officer responded to a call saying that there was a woman crying in the Whaley house. He only revealed this what happened in his retirement letter. He details that he found a woman in the back of the house crying in period clothing. He asked if she was alright. The woman stopped crying, smiled at him, and then vanished when he put his, his flashlight on her. Yeah, I wouldn't reveal that till my retirement letter either. I would have been like, y'all would not believe this shit. And then I would tell the world. But then also, that might end me up in a loony bin. That's why I wouldn't tell it to my retirement. <laughs> I respect it. And so, I was like, I know EVPs are a thing. Um, electronic voice phenomenon. And I was like, I wonder if there's some on YouTube. Guys, there's some on YouTube. So oh. I was like, okay. So, I went in. And all of these, I listened to them myself. And I'm going to tell you what I heard. Like, I closed my eyes. I did, like, super hard focus. And I listened to them, like, 40 times to make sure I was hearing what I was hearing. Wait, is there a way we can, like, play them? I have no idea how to make it so the listeners can hear it. So I included the username of the person with every YouTube video. So you guys should be able to find it yourselves. Which we can do after we stop recording. Because I still have those things. So We should do that. Project 13 on YouTube. I heard a woman's voice saying, come in. Jared Reynolds on YouTube. These are all on YouTube. Why did I put on YouTube videos? All of this is on YouTube. So, Jared Reynolds. A young girl in the theater room asked Mr. Whaley, are you here? And this one was the hardest for me to hear, but I vaguely heard a man whisper, yes, I am. Oh. In Tortilla's Rule, in their video, I heard the word out, followed by a higher pitch voice saying, leave me. And this one, it's iffy. But I was hoping that it's, like, true. It's from Colleen Rose. The EVP was captured in a ghost tour on July 24, 2014. 
the in the description the person claims that Violet was following around one of the tour guests and was touching him. So they decided to conduct an EVP session in the doorway of Violet's bedroom. Oh. Mm-hmm. And then from there, I heard I listened to it over and over and over and over and over. And I vaguely heard the word doctor. But I don't know if it was a ghost or if it was just background noise. But if it was a ghost, it really freaked them out because they heard it as well. And one of the people in their group was training to be a doctor. Oh. Oh. Yeah. That would freak me out too. I'd be like, uh. Uh, It turns out that they had just finished nursing school kind of thing. And so they had a theory that was it maybe Francis asking for help for his daughter? Oh my god. Oh, Oh, not Francis. Thomas asking help for his daughter. And then Ghost Adventures caught an EVP and it was a strange whisper and I dove into Reddit and God of Cat on Reddit says that they believe it says Aaron, you're finished. Which, which, judging by Mariah, Mariah's reaction, is the name of one of the Ghost Adventures people. Yeah, it is. Oh my god. <laughs> and that's all I got for you guys on the Whaley House. I want to go. So bad. I would stay there. If you guys ever come here, we'll go. <gasps> Group trip, live show. Every time we mention a place, I'm just going to go live show. <laughs> Can somebody start that list? Yes. I mean, I'm not going to do it, but yes. Someone should, maybe. I don't know. Would y'all be mad if I posted a picture of our recording on uh, the Instagram? I'm not going to lie. I didn't hear the last minute of conversation after I said that's all I have on the Whaley House and then live shows making that list. Because my Discord said, fuck you, Lulu. (laughs) Oh, I just asked if I could um, post a video of my audacity on the Instagram. Oh, yeah. Hell yeah. So that's all I got. But yeah, I'm hype. It seems like a really cool place. Mariah, what do you got for us? Um, alright. This week for you guys, I have Urban Legends, and I will be telling the story of the Charman of Ojai, California. Oh. Mm-hmm. Oh. Um, oh, hi. Oh. <laughs> yeah? The dog wants to hear it too, Mariah. Yeah, he really does. Okay, good dog? No? Oh. He's like, I know this, let me tell it. <laughs> right? Um, Ojai is a small city in Ventura County, California, northwest of Los Angeles. And it is set in a valley in the to Topa Topa Mountains? Yeah. The story begins like this. Ojai, California is an odd place. It's a mix of rural county wisdom from longtime residents and the glitz and glamour of Hollywood from the vacationing, vacationing movie stars. Everything is set in the stunning natural splendor of the Ojai Valley with beautiful orchards and hiking trails. The vast, untapped Sespe wilderness runs right alongside. (laughs) 
One of the spookiest stories told around the Ojai campfires is, of, is that of the Charman. Ojai, California is a hot valley, one of the driest parts of the state. Scrub rushes everywhere, and long story short, it's prone to wildfires, which, uh, yeah, that's all of California, but, you know, okay. I wasn't gonna say anything, but I was gonna be like, isn't everywhere? <laughs> all because we don't rake our leaves! One such fire in 1948 was particularly large and burned a large portion of the valley. Due to the isolation of Ojai and the limitations of the times, some families had to wait days for the authorities to come offer aid and assistance. Because, you know, days after fires when you really need help, right? <laughs> in the hills to the south of Ojai proper, there was an isolated cabin. A man lived there with his son and they mostly kept to themselves. Perhaps the people of Ojai forgot about them, and that was a very bad mistake. The cabin was directly in the path of the fire. Their house, consumed by the flames, caused the father to burn to death. The son survived, oh. but barely. He was practically unre- unrecognizable as a human being. He was burned all over and in the smoking wreck of a man. It was amazing that he lived. He did, however, survive, though the pain must have been unimaginable. As such things happen sometimes in terrible circumstances, his mind snapped. Nobody knows quite what happened. When the police and firemen arrived days after the fire, they found a gruesome scene. The father had been flayed. His skin was removed from his body, peeled off like he was a piece of fruit. The man's body was hanging from a nearby tree, and he was quite, quite dead, as the story says. (laughs) You can't see me, but my jaws drop. I know, just imagine pulling up to the scene of a fire, and it's just, oh, there's this guy hanging from a tree, and all his skin is gone. (laughs) I don't like that. I'm, I'm good. I would simply just turn around and go home. Yeah, you know, you just pack it up, put the hose away, just go. So I don't get paid enough for that one. <laughs> I'm just a volunteer firefighter. I really don't get paid enough for that one. <laughs> the police drew their guns and immediately fanned out to search for the perpetrator. It didn't take long. Oh, they're brave. Right? They heard an inhumane, labored wheezing from a nearby bush that had escaped the flames, and the officers immediately searched it. Suddenly- I could never. Right? Like, let's go find where this wheezing is coming from. I I have a friend who's in, like, the police academy at my school, and I I have so much respect for him because I could never- When the police went to investigate the bush, something bolted out. It was the sun. A mass of charred flesh, somehow impossibly still able to move. The officers gagged at the smell, lost their conviction, and the son was able to escape. He ran into the hills, and that was the last time anyone saw him up close. He had become the Charman of Ojai, California. Nothing short of a monster. Ooh, and now we get to move on to his reign of terror. Oh shit, he has a reign of terror? Mm-hmm. Oh god, okay. Bring it on. <laughs> People say the Charman is still there. He must be ancient by now, but it seems his insane rage has given him the strength and life beyond the mortal. 
Or perhaps he really did die in that fire so many years ago. Maybe what we know as a Charman is a ghost or a specter reenacting the horrific circumstances of its death. Every time I say Charman, I think I'm saying Charmander. I every yep. time you say it, also like have a picture of him in my head. I'm just like ah, Pokemon. <laughs> yes, he was my favorite Pokemon too. That episode where. He was introduced. Fucked me up, man. Wait, oh. So what does this tormented soul do in modern-day Ojai, California? It seems that he wants more skins. Human skins. Lovely. Skins to replace his own perhaps. The Charman most frequently lurks around a very rural creek road. There's a creek- Has anyone told him that skin grafting's a thing? If what's a thing? Skin grafting. Oh, you know what? No one's taught him that. Because I feel like someone should let him know. I know, we can start GoFundMe for him. I'm just gonna go yell out into like the wildlands of California and just be like, Hey buddy, we can help you. We can help you out. There's a campground in the area known as Camp Comfort, which has gained something of a reputation for its hauntings. The Charman has been- That's ironic. Right? Camp Comfort? (laughs) (laughs) Oh no. The Charman has been known to stalk the camp at night, not quite brave enough to enter the tents. Certainly brave enough to go after an unsuspecting party of hikers, though. (laughs) He's crafty and he picks his targets carefully. He shies away from large groups and moving cars, but he's not shy about approaching if he thinks he can take you. Harassing stop cars, however, is a favorite pastime of his. He loves nothing more than finding a few unlucky travelers stuck on the side of a road. Helpless, stranded, their skin ripe for the reaping. Oh. Yeah, I don't know how I feel about that. Him and Elias would get along lovely. Um... I would just You're say, right. Elias will just do a little stabity stab. Charman takes their skin. Good deal for both of them. Um, the Charman is said to leap right into the car, pounding and scratching and trying to get in. Some daredevils like to exploit his proclivities. They drive out, way out, after dark, stop on the side of the road and turn off the car. And turn off the lights if they dare and just wait. The Charman will come after a time, suddenly and shockingly. Um, drivers are to be ready to start the car back up and make their escape, and they'd better hope the engine doesn't stall. That's what the Charman is counting on. Oh, yeah? Hi, dog. Let me- tell me about it. (laughs) I think he's telling his personal experience, I know. Oh, wait, can you guys not understand him? Oh, what did he say? No, I understand him perfectly. Oh. <laughs> oh. Damn. And then the engine, engine stalled? I just simply do not know how he made it out. Like, I know he told us just now, but like, wow. Um, for hikers who uh, explore the trails and roads of Ojai late at night, 
particularly around Creek Road, he just might make an appearance. He's fast, so be ready. You'll hear the crackling of brush first. The charman isn't particularly stealthy, and he makes a racket stomping around the undergrowth. So you're all like a natural one on stealth. Um, (laughs) What if he purposely failed his stealth check? Maybe a disadvantage. He failed stealth, so he rolled really high in intimidation. Some have reported moans and groans as branches and thorns uh, scrape against his sensitive skin. You know what? Me too. (laughs) Others say he's silent as the grave, and the sounds of his passage can easily be mistaken for those of an animal. That might be the last mistake you ever make. When he emerges, they say, you'll know it beyond the shadow of a doubt. Charging straight at you in the open, his face a collection of open sores, and his skin gruesomely burned beyond all reckoning. It's likely you'll break out and run at the sight. Yes. (laughs) Yes, I would. For sure. (laughs) He howls and shrieks, ranting and raving about all the horrible things he'll do when he gets you. He can't be reasoned with, though some have tried. And if he does catch you, let's just say you won't return to tell the tale. He's nothing but pure hate and rage anymore. He just needs a friend. Yeah, you know. He's just a little salty that the response times for firefighters weren't good, you know? You know, that's kind of valid. You think he'd just be angry at firefighters, but he's like, no, anger for all. Listen, it's not necessarily the firefighters who are the problem. It's society. We can get deeper into that. I wrote on it. Society needs to do some changing, but that's not what this kind of podcast is for. We just like to sprinkle it in. <laughs> um, the culture of the Char Man of Ojai, California. Um, there have been enough reports of the Char Man that they've attracted the attention of local police. Several attacks oh. per year for more than six years will do that. <laughs> Um, more than I hope so. Right, you know, maybe just pay a little bit of attention to that if people are telling you. More than once, a squad of police officers have ventured into the woods around Ojai. A few times, the creature has ventured closer to town. The very end of Signal Street has been the scene of a charming attack. Um, the police wasted no time when this happened and moved out in force. Their purposes vary. Sometimes they wish to arrest him, other times they assume he's an animal and hope to kill him. More often than, more often than not, they don't believe he's real. They're just looking to disprove the frantic pleas of the latest kids to think they found the Charman. They never do disprove it though. They don't talk about their expeditions after the fact. The town of Ojai, for its part, fully embraces its local celebrity. Dangerous as he is, the denizens of Ojai love him. There's a bridge named after him. Oh, I know, right? Oh. Um, it says to go down the twisty creek road and you'll eventually, eventually cross Charman Bridge. So, love that. <laughs> Legend says that it's a prime spot to see him at, and if you travel to the bridge at night and park your car, he's liable to come rushing out of the woods to attack. (laughs) 
I mean, not sure I like that part, but I like that there's just like a place for him now. Yeah, you know, it's like, this is my bridge. Yeah. And that's what I have on the Charman. Look, we've got another place to add to live show. <gasps> yes, Charman Bridge. I like it. That was a good one. I liked it. Good job. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to get a map of the U.S. And then just put little thumbtacks of places we want to go. Oh, now it's time for us to end. We got some advice on how to freaking end these. Thank God, because we don't know how to do it. I already forgot the advice. <laughs> oh, words of wisdom. Yes. Oh, yeah. And I still have some tea to sip while we give out some of our wisdoms. Oh, um. Do we have hold any? Hold on, let me. Give me a second. I was going to do this earlier. Ooh. I'm going to Pinterest it. But I'm gonna like change it a little bit. Okay. Love that. Ooh. Okay. Be careful about judging a man's choices when you don't fully understand his challenges, especially if it's on the side of the road and he's asking you for directions or help fixing his car. Because more likely than not, he may be trying to stab you or he could be trying to kidnap you. Wise words. Thank you. Are we all just staring at Audacity again? <laughs> Alright. Thank you guys for listening so much to episode 3 of Tea and Terror. Don't forget to follow our social media. Our Twitter is at T underscore terror. Our Instagram is at T dot and dot terror. And if you have any stories or requests, you can go ahead and email them to us at tnterrorpc at gmail.com. Uh, I think that's everything we need to plug. Website is in the link tree of our social media bios. Okay, now I'm sure that's everything I needed to plug in real quick. I'm Lulu. I'm Sydney. I'm Mariah. And, and we're T and Terror. Bye. 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 Thank you.